I wanted to begin by just um, sharing my appreciation. It's it's interesting when I leave for a few weeks and come back, and often when I'm gone, uh, I think about our group, our community, and I, I it just it fills me with a lot of joy. I just think we have a really special community here, and it's powerful. And I think one of the things, actually, I think there's a few things that make it up, and it, one of it is your interest, your interest in a spiritual path, which when I go out and travel, sometimes maybe you realize what I realize. It's not always so common. <laughs> what a cool thing to have a group to come to where there's a like interest like this, where, where we might not agree, and this isn't a place where we agree or believe the same things, but we have an interest in invest, investigating together. And not only that, I think for many of you here, um, it's also your dedication. Um, m- many of you here, I've seen here before, or I've seen you on a retreat or, or something like that. And it's j- just that simple dedication that I actually do find inspiring, the dedication to return, to return back here. And when you think about it, that's really what this practice is all about, right? It's that kind of dedication when you return. You return back to your group or your community where you find um, a quality of investigation or curiosity around a spiritual path. It's, it's the dedication to return to this practice, the practice of meditation, to return again and again. And even to the minute level of returning to the present moment again and again and again, returning to your breath. That's dedication. And that's something that's here in our group that you're manifesting. And this is really the heart of what we're doing is trying to, to express this dedication to, to, you could say, a different way of living, a different way of being in the world. So simply put, thank you for your practice and your interest. It's, you're making something here at this community. Thank you. Actually, maybe one story about that. Just <laughs> <laughs> stories. When I was a monk, when I was a, a monk in the Zen tradition, um, I spent a little. I spent most of my time at a training center, which was in the San Gabriel Mountains of Los, of, of California. But then, I was down in Los Angeles at the what they call the city center there, and it was actually when I was there, the, the neighborhood might have changed by now. It was in a bad part of, of L.A. It was right in um, right on the edge of South Central L.A. And when I was there, the head monk was this New Zealander who was, I was just so impressed by his dedication. And the way he manifested his dedication is he made sure every night that, it was every single night that there was a sitting going on. So he'd open up the meditation hall um, so that people could come and sit. And since it was in the bad part of L.A., nobody came to sit. <laughs> so like 95% of the time, he'd be the only one sitting. Or we'd do this formal tea ceremony. So there was one guy that was great. He, w- he wouldn't come to the entire evening ex- except the last 10 minutes where we'd serve tea and have this <laughs> thing and hang out for a while. I was so impressed by his dedication. It didn't matter who came. And the other thing is it didn't matter what kind of attitude he was. I mean, at times he was, he would be bitching and moaning about being a monk and how he hated the Zen community, and <laughs> yet he was still doing it. And, and I think there was something really powerful just about that dedication. There was, it was embodying um, the spiritual path, which is to actually show up regardless of what's going on. 
Yeah, so that's what we're here for, is to, to simply show up. I want to continue with uh, a theme that I've been talking about over the, the last few times that I've been here, and that's this theme of awakening or liberation. As I like to point out, <clears throat> this is what this is about. So Buddha was really clear. This is about waking up. This is about liberation. The tricky thing is, is how do you understand it? And what I've been doing is I've been trying to use uh, different metaphors and images so that you can get a sense of what does uh, awakening mean to you? And, and how is it going to fit into your life and into your way of, of understanding the spiritual path? And what I've been doing is I've been beginning with this simple definition that the Buddha gave of awakening that I think can be expressed in many different ways or many ways of understanding it. But he said it's very simply an awakened mind is a mind that is free from greed, hatred, and delusion. It's a, it's a mind that's not, you could say, entangled or hooked anymore. It's free of that. It's free of these things that, that bind us. Yet I'm asking the question, what does that look like? And how do you understand that? Some of the metaphors I've been sharing with you is the first time I, I spoke about it, it was this metaphor of it's like a fire that's being released from its fuel, like fire unbound. And literally the word nibbana or nirvana is around this. It's around this metaphor of, of, of a fire being extinguished, but it was understood differently in, uh, in India at that time. It wasn't extinguishing the fire, it was freeing the fire from its fuel. So a beautiful image of a, a fire being freed from, the, the, from its fuel. And then after that, I, I ventured into uh, a few Zen images for you. The, the next time I came, I, I gave you this, this metaphor from Dogen of enlightenment or awakenings like the moon reflected in the water. And, and this striking thing that he points out, the moon, isn't it interesting, the moon never gets wet when, when the moon is reflected in the water. And also the water is never broken. And yet there, there they are. And somehow that's an understanding of awakening. And then the last time I spoke, it was more um, another Zen perspective, but more about being in the world, yet not entangled by it. And we spoke about how to live with a mind that is free of preferences, yet can engage in preferences. And how do you do that? How do you engage in preferences, yet be free of them at the same time? Tonight, yet another angle. And, and I think the way I would uh, describe it is that the, this path or this, this movement towards awakening, you could say, is a movement towards touching, you could say, this mystery that you're involved in, that we're involved in. The mystery of, of this activity of living and dying. It's really a mysterious thing, don't you think? It's just, it's a trip. <laughs> An author, as Brian Swim says, I, I, I love how he puts it, he says, four and a half billion years ago, this earth, the, the earth that you're on right now, was simply a flaming molten ball of rock. And now, it can sing opera. And now it can sing opera. 
What a mysterious thing, right? What's up with that? And yet we're involved in that process somehow, in some mysterious way. And I think one of the reasons I, I wanted to speak about that is just because of the things that have arisen in my life that, that seem to lend to this mystery or reminds me of it. It could be, uh, sometimes it's beautiful things and sometimes it's tragic things. For example, when I was, after I got back from this backpacking trip, um, I was, there was a whole host of emails, so there's all this news. You know, for example, there was an acquaintance at college that I found out who is my age who died of breast cancer. It's so tragic. She was really this, um, had written some uh, really striking books with her father and, and done some really wonderful things. And um, actually, they had misdiagnosed her. She had uh, breast cancer, and, and uh, um, her breasts were so dense that they only gave a mammogram and they weren't able to detect it until it was too late. So it was very tragic. The, the mystery of dying. Here we are with everyone, and, and yet, yet at some point, we're not going to be here, or our friends are not going to be here. Have you noticed how that can shake things up in a way? How it can open up this mystery? Or even the opposite way. Another friend had a baby. The mystery and, and, and the amazement of, of, of life coming into this world. What a beautiful thing. And you might notice that in your own life, both the tragedies and the beauty and the wonders can start to open us up to this mystery, this mystery of, of the activity of living and dying. And also this is something that I feel like is easy for me to touch when I go into the wilderness. One of the striking things about when, whenever I go on a backpacking trip is it's really so um, spiritually rich just to bring in some sitting every day and, of course, silence. Uh, and, and I'm sure you've noticed this, how nature can evoke being into a, 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 much more easily this quality of presence. And it's within that presence I feel like there can be this quality of touching, this mystery of being. Just a reminder of our outdoor retreat because it really supports that. So a little plug for our three-day retreat, which, which is coming up in a couple weeks. I want to go a little bit deeper than this, connect it, with, um, connect it a little more deeply. Bill Moyers was interviewing Joseph Campbell, and I think he was asking uh, Joseph Campbell about a uh, myth. That's what Joseph Campbell is all about. And he basically asked, so what's up with, with people's search for myth, and why is it so important? Is it, is it about really... Is it really that all of us are really seeking what we're really seeking as meaning? And Joseph Campbell, which I find uh, was quite surprised by this, he said no. This is actually what he said. He said, people say that we're all seeking, what we're all seeking is a meaning for life. I don't think that's what we're really seeking. I think that what we're seeking is an experience of being alive so that our life experiences on the purely physical plane will have resonances within our own innermost being and reality, so that we actually feel the rapture of being alive. 
it strikes me. What are you saying here? And and for me, and maybe for you, you might hear the sense of that it rings true. There's something about the experience of simply being alive. And and I invite you to reflect right now around this question of, of when in, in your life, when are the times when you felt most alive? If you just reflect on that. When you really touch the experience of being alive. And when you reflect on that right now, you might notice what's one of the ingredients. It's actually that you were there for it, that you were present for being alive, right? In that moment, you actually showed up for living. So I'm sure you're seeing the connection here with this practice. And not only that, in those moments where you really felt the experience of really being alive, it might be in those moments where you really felt like you were touching or tasting the mystery of this beingness, the mystery of aliveness. Yet it takes that that important ingredient, which is showing up for your experience. And that's the problem, right? The problem is, maybe you're like me, is that that's the difficulty, is we're not always showing up. John O'Donohue, the author, puts it well. He says, we are so busy managing our experience that we forget this great mystery that we are involved with. Our minds, if you notice, they, they get so caught up in managing, analyzing, figuring out, pushing things away, grasping onto things, that we, that we forget. We forget this, this, this vast mystery that we're all engaged in. And I feel that, like, this is where there is this connection with what I began with, with the definition of awakening. Because really, if you take a look at it, or when I take a look at my own mind, what prevents me from touching this mystery of really touching the experience of being alive is greed, hatred, and delusion. Or to use other words, is it's when I'm obsessively grasping about something or perseverating about it, obsessing about something, this quality of, of, of greed, of grasping. Or I'm avoiding something and pushing some, some aspect of experience away, and then I'm not there for it. Or, very simply, the most basic and fundamental one, I'm just checked out. Have you noticed this? This is what prevents showing up for your experience, showing up for this great mystery that we can really touch. It's true, we can get lost in so much of that that reactivity, like worry. There's this wonderful Irish saying about worry, which I think is apt here. I'd like to share with you. It goes, there is no reason to be worried. In life, actually, there's, there are only two things to worry about, whether you are well 
or whether you're ill. If you are well, there is nothing to worry about. But if you're ill, there are two things to worry about. Whether you will get well or whether you'll die. Now, if you get well, then there's nothing to worry about. <laughs> if you die, then there are only two things to worry about. Whether you go to heaven or whether you go to hell. <laughs> if you go to heaven, then you've got nothing to worry about. And if you go to hell, so many of your friends are going to be there, you won't have time to worry. <laughs> I thought that was a good solution. <laughs> As I've been alluding to, in order to... to touch this mystery of this activity of living and dying or to really show up for the experience of being alive we need to have the skill the skill of being present so I want to speak a little bit about this in, in terms of, of this theme and I'd like to introduce a, a new term that some of you might know but we haven't spoken about in detail and that's this this term that's sometimes used that is equated with mindfulness which is called bare attention um, which is quite striking and I want to share with you a, a definition of it and then go through it with you this is from uh, Nyana Ponika Thera who um, actually was very influential in, in our understanding of, of you could say modern mindfulness he says Bare attention is the clear and single-minded awareness of what actually happens to us and in us at the successive moments of perception. It is called bare because it attends to just the bare facts of a perception as presented either through the five physical senses or through the mind, which in Buddhist thought constitutes the sixth sense. When attending to that six-fold sense base, the five senses, and then thinking, attention or mindfulness is kept to a bare registering of the facts observed with or without, reacting, re without reacting to them by deed, speech, or by mental comment, which may be one of self-reference. And so he's talking about liking or disliking what's going on, or judgment or reflection. And if during the time given to the practice of bare attention, comments arise in one's mind, they themselves are, themselves are made objects of bare attention. And when they're neither repudi repudiated nor pursued, after a brief mental note has been, uh, they are dismissed after a brief mental note has been made of them. Let's parse this apart a little bit because it is quite thick. you might be hearing do you hear how he's using this word bear a little bit so he's he's saying that we have these these six gates you could say this is really all of you, the entirety of your experience ends up being through these six gates the five senses and then it's quite fascinating that actually the thinking process is another gate thoughts come and go they're not so we always have this feeling like i am the owner of my thoughts and i'm always the one in control of my thoughts and this is a whole different perspective just as a, a sound comes and goes and you're not entirely in control of it, just thoughts come and go in the same way. 
And how is one to relate to it? With this bare attention, which is to simply see the, the details of it, the basic quality of it, without heaping onto it the reactivity. And if reactivity arises, then to see it for what it is. So for example, if I'm paying attention to the feeling of my breath, the bare intention of it, attention of it is I'd be feeling rising and falling, or I'd feel warmth. Or I no might notice that it's short or shallow, the breath. Well, there might be a pulsation there, that quality of bare attention. And then it's like, oh my God, I'm, I'm breathing so shallowly. There must be something wrong with me. Why am I not calmer? And it's so fascinating, right? It's not about getting rid of that. It's just seeing it for what it is. That's Then it's bringing bare attention to that. Oh, judging. Oh, worry. That's all it is. And then it's after labeling that coming back to the breath. Do you hear how this is a description of exactly what our meditation practice is? He's just ex explaining it with a different term, bare attention. I, I feel bare attention is really important because of what we heap onto experience without knowing it. And I want to use a different d description, um, actually, that comes from an art critic to, to help explain this. Before that, though, I want to point out that the way we show up for experience, the way we show up for being alive is so simple. How do you do it? It's contacting what I call your direct experience. Like the abdomen rising and falling, the sound of my, my, my voice coming and going. That's the gateway. That's the gateway into this mystery. And yet what happens, though, is we start to become... Um, habituated to the moment so we're no longer aware of it. There's this fascinating um, art critic by the name of uh, uh, Victor Shaklovsky. And he had this term for what he thought the, or, uh, the purpose of art was, which is this process of defamiliarization. So I want to share with you some of his words because I think it's quite it's quite fascinating in terms of the function of art, but it also feels like it, it plays into our understanding of, of, of this practice and this path. He says, as perception or as uh, as perception or as seeing becomes habitual, it becomes automatic. And in that process, things are replaced by symbols. And he says, and then he gives some examples of this. For example, this kind of habitualization, it devours, I find that such a striking word, it devours. It devours work, it devours clothes, furniture, it devours one's partner. So what is he talking about here? What is this devouring? Does this make sense is, is we get so habituated and so used to the things in our world is what our mind does is it symbolizes it. Oh, there's my partner. Same partner as yesterday. And what happens with that, right, is we're no longer present with them. They have actually become a symbol in the mind rather than something that we're contacting. We do it with things in our, in our world, we do it with people, and we do it with ourselves. Have you noticed this? Right? This is this is this habitualization, this habitualization, habitualization, and it does it devours our world. And he, and he really points out what happens with this. He says, if the whole complex lives of many people go on like this, then lives like this are as if they had never been. 
Or as the Buddha says, those who are living unmindfully are living as if already dead. Striking, shocking. And then he says the purpose, and this is why, why I think it's so important for, for him for this. He says, and art exists that one may recover the sensation of life. It exists to make one feel, make one feel things, to make the stone stony, to really feel the stone quality of that stone. The purpose of art is to impart the sensation of things as they are perceived, not as they are known. The technique is to make objects unfamiliar. Art removes objects from the, autom- the, the, the habitualization of perception. I find that to be a, a really striking um, description of art. Have you ever seen a piece of art where it makes you look at the world in a different way? That's a great piece of art. And what is it doing? It's, it's, it's allowing you to become unfamiliar with the world that you live in. Can you allow your spiritual practice to do the same thing with the, with the basic things? With picking up a dish, setting it down, the feeling of water, a sound, becoming unfamiliar with it. So that, so that we can touch this mystery, this mystery that we're all partaking in. So tonight for the, uh, the sit, I invite you to, again, keep the practice simple of, of being present with what's going on, but having this intention. Can you become unfamiliar with what's going on, the breath or a sound? And to allow even a quality of wonder that there is something mysterious here that's going on that you don't understand. Can you cultivate this allowing, this not understanding, this openness, this not knowing in that way? Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.